0: Hi there and welcome back to the
1: ESPN
0: footy podcast.
1: Yes, hello everybody. Welcome back to uh, another episode of the ESPN footy pod. It's a different and special episode of the podcast this week. We've got a very, very special guest joining us and it's not Jake Michaels. Uh, Jake, you're a regular panelist on this podcast. Oh,
0: shall I, shall I pack it up and, and leave?
1: Well, I just thought I'd introduce you first. We'll, we'll start with you and work our way up because Christian Jolly from Champion Data, you're not the special guest and you normally are, but welcome along uh, for another week.
2: Uh happy to be uh, in the second chair today. It's the exciting <laughs> guest.
1: Yes, very much. Uh, he's part of the ESPN stable this year. Uh, he's been doing some written stuff for ESPN.com.au and he's going to join us on the podcast a couple of times throughout the year. Josh Dunkley of the Bulldogs, welcome along to you. Thank
3: you. Thanks for having me
0: on.
1: It's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, as I said, we've been doing uh, a few bits and pieces with you this year, and we, we look forward to getting some more uh, articles out of yourself for you've been writing uh, for the website, as I said, and, and getting you on the podcast. Um, we've got heaps to talk about with you. A little bit of a preview is we're going to go through what it's like to be a, a day in the life of a footy player on game day because we know what we see for the two or three hours that you're on the field. We see it on TV, um, but we're sure that there's a lot behind the scenes that goes into making a footy game well, what it is. I mean, you obviously have to, you know, get up, get to the airport if you're going on a on a on a road trip or or get to the ground. And and we just kind of want a little bit of insight from you. So we'll do that a little bit later on, guys. But before we do kick off grilling dunks, something which grabbed your attention from the weekend that we might not get to talk about too much this week. Jake, I might throw you under the bus and see what you've got for us this
0: week. Well, it's funny because we actually, we never tell each other what our thing we saw was, but this was like the first time we did And it turns out Christian and I had the same thing. So I'm scrambling to find something else, but something I actually did notice um, uh, earlier in the week was we had a, we had an image as our preview for the Collingwood West Coast game. And the two players we had in the, in the photo, Jordan Goey and Jeremy Howe, I, I think we jinxed the pies. What was going on? <laughs> <laughs> on the website. Yeah, they were the they were on the photo that we had for that game okay. prior to it starting, and look how that turned out. So
1: no, that didn't turn out well at all. Yeah, I
0: don't think too many Pies fans will be happy with us.
1: No, and we'll we'll make sure we avoid putting dunks as our feature image this week before uh, before <laughs> yeah. the, the dogs game on Friday night. <laughs> um, Christian, something uh, you noticed from the weekend that we might not get to chat about.
2: Yeah, as as Jake said, he um, noticed the same thing. I think the name he brought up was David Mundy um, and the two that I sort of noticed in the same game, Shane Mumford and Lance Franklin, just um, all three of those names, they're all 33 plus. Um, So just, yeah, the, the older veterans turning back the clock this weekend. But I thought it's been, I mean, Mundy's been in fine form for, you know, since round one, really. So I had a quick look at it. It's the most, we sort of use round five as a point. So it's the most 33 year olds at this point in the season that have played since 2000. So I feel like there's a little bit of a, Renaissance in sort of the um, the older players and um, you know the veterans still sort of uh, having an impact and it, it sort of goes hand in hand I know the Gary Abbott story got shot down quite quickly because he's not eligible to nominate for that draft but Cade Simpson um, another one so um, yeah it's probably getting to a stage where you're never too old if you if you've you still got the skill and, you know, you've still got the um, athleticism like Mundy and, you know, obviously Buddy Franklin we know, he's, you know hurt his knee and is going to miss a few weeks, which is unfortunate. Jay Mumford's actually retired for a year, <laughs> come back, and you still got the talent to play. Um, you're never too old if you've got the talent.
1: It's weird because you kind of think that uh, longer quarters again, it's going to be a longer season this year, that the older players might be sort of battling uphill. But, uh, I mean, early signs touch wood for, for some of these guys. They seem to be doing pretty well. Uh, something I noticed from the weekend is... I was watching the the Giants and the Swans game very closely. Firstly, I noticed the the Giants uh what do they call it the Never Surrender Guernsey was amazing. Quite like, How good quite is like it? that. Yeah, one of the best
0: well, is it a clash jumper do you call it that? They were the well, away team, so. Have you seen the the Collingwood uh Essendon jumpers visit? this oh, week?
1: Yeah, um, <laughs> My, my poor grandmother's not going to be able to tell the difference between the two teams. I the won't weekend. be able to tell the
0: difference.
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's not what I noticed. What I did notice from that game was uh, Hutto in the caller's box. He had a couple of really, really good calls. And I'm starting to think is this he must... You
0: making, is this me making up for having a go at him last week? He no, I love Hutto. I'm a big
1: fan of Hutto. Um, <laughs> I just think he must have a list of things that he's got ready to go when a certain player does something really well. Because there were two instances on the weekend in the same game. Shane Mumford... Uh, he, he picked up a ball and must have balked someone and then got a hand pass off um, and, and he just slipped in there. Um, you're quite brilliant, Shane. And the first thing I thought of was that Ross Lyon press conference when I think it was Shane McInnes from 3AW had a, had a go at him in one of the press conferences and you had to ask him, oh, who are you? And he said, Shane McInnes from 3AW. Well, you're quite brilliant, aren't you Shane? So if that was the first one. And then the second one was Josh Kelly's just kicked the game winner, uh, you know, arguably the biggest moment the giants have had all year and he's just trotted out a pre-prepared line. He said, with grace, it's Kelly. As in, you know, making a reference to, to Grace Kelly. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. But two from two for Hutto in that game. And, um, oh, yeah, he he, he's up and about. Josh, anything uh, – do you watch much footy during the week um, when you're
3: playing? This weekend I didn't really watch a lot because we obviously played at 4.35 on Saturday. So, it's that in-between time. You missed the first game yeah. on Saturday and then you missed the night game pretty much too. So, um. I didn't see a lot on the weekend. The only thing I did see was the, the Magpies scandal thing at the moment with the, the phones. Um, so, yeah, that was probably my thing that I took away from the weekend that was interesting, but I don't know what's going to happen there.
1: Yeah, we'll touch on that a little bit later because I think that is an interesting part of the whole game day dynamic. Um, but I guess there's heaps to talk about uh, with you, firstly. Firstly, I guess this week, uh, the Giants, a bit of a grudge match, probably one of the better rivalries we've had in, in modern times. Does it feel that way within the club as well?
3: Yeah, definitely. I think ever since that 2016 prelim, uh, it's been building up. You know, it's been highly talked about across the years, and we really rev ourselves up to play against the Giants purely because of the experiences that we've had. And, you know, the players they've come after against us has been, you know, it's confronting, and they stitched us up in the 2018 final series and 19 final series. So, um, yeah, it's a disappointing way to end the year against the Giants, but will be uh, red hot on Friday night and hopefully come away with the win.
0: What was it like playing in that 2016 prelim? Everyone always talks about it. And I, I personally think it's top three games I think I've ever seen. What was it like playing in that? And particularly as such a young player at the time?
3: Yeah, I'll, I'll forever say that that's probably the hardest game that I've ever played in, to be honest. The way that um, the Giants really you know fought back late in that last quarter. I think they kicked the first two goals of the last quarter from memory. And I remember standing in the forward line. I was like, geez, this is going to be tough for us. And everyone was fully knackered and and, and tough. You know, it was, just, it was a hard game. And I think the way that it went down to the wire was something that I'll never forget. And then obviously JJ comes away with that kick to Bont and then he finishes off the goal to, to really stem, or stem the flow of the game and, and get us back in front. And then um, Jacko kicked one and, and Tori Dixon missed after the siren. But it was just a, an incredible game and credit to both sides, I guess, on the day that uh, we could play such a high-quality game for the spectators and fans.
1: Do, do you talk about this rivalry within the club, especially in a week like this week leading up to a game? I mean, we've we've seen some, you know, incredible sort of micro-tussles within the actual games themselves. I mean, is Bond looking forward to tossing the coin with, is it going to be Toby Green? Is it going to be Nick Haynes again? Like, do you talk about this sort of stuff at the club?
3: Yeah, I mean, you talk about everything. Like, the last time when Haynes tossed the coin, wasn't until after the game when most of us realised that that actually happened, right? Um, so it was it was great that we we're on the other side of the. Well, we we're actually we won, so it was nice yeah. to talk about it in the change rooms after. But so,
1: so yeah. Bond doesn't come back to the the huddle at, at, and says, you know, this rat bags come and toss the coin. Let's go and get them, boys.
3: <laughs> nah, he didn't say anything. He didn't mention it at all. But you know, you do talk about everything. You know, the, the Giants um, rivalry is definitely talked about it at the club every time we come come up against them, and. Um, it's not just us as players, you know. The coaches as well. Like everyone's really, really um, looking forward to playing against them.
1: Christian, I mean, some of the stats that we've been we've been talking about uh, some 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 stats about the Dogs and, and Josh in particular, uh, leading up to this podcast. You know, the club's five and zero. What have you noticed from the Dogs and Josh in particular? You know, through this start of the year, that's that's really stood out to you, at Champion Data. I
2: mean, we'll we'll start with the team and. Uh it's just it's just an awesome profile at the moment for the bulldogs there um again we talk about you know putting points on the scoreboard's obviously the biggest factor to winning football obviously and that's how you source those points they're number one for points differential from clearances and intercept possessions so we always talk about intercepts 60% of your scores come from there about 35% from stoppages and another 5 or so percent from kick-ins uh, bulldogs at number one at the, you know the two main sources that 95% of scores come in uh, number one for inside fifties. Uh, I think top two for scoring once inside fifty. Same going defensive um, way that you know they don't they don't concede a lot of insides. They, they're a bit easier to score against going inside fifty than um, some of the other teams, but they're still not down the bottom for it. But again, it's probably just one of those profiles that again, just looking at it, it's probably too good to be true um, slightly <laughs> at the moment in that. terms <laughs> of you just so you're just so dominant in so many areas. So it's probably a question I was going to ask, and it's probably hard to sort of explain but is do you sort of do you sort of plan for it? you know it's sort of a downturn during the season because obviously the five and oh and and the way you guys are going is awesome and it's obviously all the plans working together but do you just expect that at some stage of the year things are going to get a bit flat and do you sort of yeah do you preempt something like that or you just try to keep your head in the clouds and keep going with this awesome sort of feeling
3: yeah i mean winning and i spoke about in my last article it's yeah to um, to win and you know a lot of things that, the best thing about us now at the moment is that we're not playing our best footy there's still areas of our game that we can improve and it's been really driving force in the way that we've been training and continuing to look for, or search for perfection I guess you could say um, but yeah I don't know it's, it's, it's a tough one because we do train really hard we do everything we possibly can you look at the stats and uh, each week you, you come up against a new side that's good in different areas so you know, we knew Gold Coast on the weekend, uh, for example, we're going to chip the ball around. They like to maintain possession and hold the ball off. us, similar to North Melbourne. Um, but then Brisbane Lions really like to take the game on and kick it down the line to their tools. So the stats come into it a lot. But, um, yeah, it's based on week to week, I guess.
1: Uh, speaking of that article uh, that you wrote earlier this month, you did talk about how the, the highs are great. You know, when, when footy's going well, everything's going well, but the lows can also be pretty low. You mentioned receiving basically death threats after you know dropping a mark in the goal square late in the game against the swans a few years back and how that affected you and how you hadn't really spoken about it to anyone before what was it like sharing something like that um and how's the feedback that you've got since then
3: yeah it was it's pretty confronting like to talk about something so um at the time it made me feel so so bad was mentioning that piece that it was the worst that i'd felt probably ever in my life and to talk about that is pretty tough and you've got to I don't know at the time like I didn't talk about it because I probably felt so insular that I didn't want to to you know bring anyone else down with me so it's weird you, you handle it as you do as footballers and we've got a lot of great um, people around us and dad's probably one my family's probably one that I really lean on a lot so to um, talk to them and and lean on them a lot was was very important but the way you deal, I don't know, it's hard. Like each play is different and um, it is confronting though when you have to talk about it. But I think it takes a lot of courage to to stand up and talk about that kind of stuff because it's really important. And the feedback that I received was great from the community and, and fans, Every, everyone messaged me. People that I hadn't spoken to in years messaged me and saying how well it read and how well it came across. So, um, yeah, it was it
0: was great, great feedback. That's terrific to hear because, as you say, it is... I mean, nobody should... Experience that sort of abuse but particularly at 20 i think you were 21 at the time um that's horrible it's horrific and, and i encourage and we, we we do as i said i think last week we do plug some stories on here and we obviously we want people to read our espn content but if there's something you do go and read this uh this year it make sure you make sure you read this because it's a fascinating insight into the hor- horrific abuse that um professional athletes actually receive um, and as you say, as a 21-year-old, it can be really difficult to deal with it. So uh, full credit to you for opening up and, and sharing that story. I think it was terrific. Yeah, I think the
3: biggest thing from that is, like, like you mentioned, like a lot of players, I reckon nearly every player in the AFL would have copped some kind of criticism, whether it's hmm. down the street at the shops or on social media. A lot of the time, it's probably more social media where people don't put a name to a face and hmm. they can just, you know, keyboard warriors, we call them. Um, they'll just take you to town, so it's, it's disappointing that it's that it ends up like that. And these days with gambling as well, it's that's a big thing um, in the game where you, you know you cop it for not getting 15 touches or whatever it might be. Like it's it's pretty hard. To, Has that
0: happened to you before?
3: Yeah, last year especially, I think with with COVID, it was big because mm. you know we're in the hub and everyone was, so especially in Victoria, where everyone was in lockdown and on their phones and probably gambling more than they usually would to
0: mm. uh,
3: with footy. With footy on. Um, so, yeah, it was tough. And certainly a lot of guys got on the bus after a game last year and would be copying a lot of criticism for those kind of things. Shorten
0: quarters as well. So you've to get 15 in the shorten quarter.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we, de- we definitely noticed that last year as well with the amount of, you know, Twitter stuff we were copying because obviously they're betting on the stats. And I did notice this. And, um, quite a lot of people had, mm. you know, sent us messages showing us the five kick-ins someone had had from a kick-in and said, you missed these five kicks said, well, they are never been Canada's disposal. So you've got to be careful. when People obviously sitting on the couch and getting sucked into betting. They were betting on things they didn't actually know the definition of. So (laughs) um, yeah, definitely, definitely got out of hand. I think a little bit last year from what we saw as well.
1: It it kind of seems that it is rampant, like really widespread. You sort of talk about you get on the bus and everyone seems to, you know, open the phone and there's, there's some sort of message there, Josh. Like does, how do you, how do you make people aware of this and, and make it better? Like how do you stop people from doing this? Do you know?
3: I don't really know the answer, to be honest. Like, I think if people just think of us as every a normal human being, which we are, like yeah. we're not, we're not, um, we're not anything different to everyone else out in the community. Like, you've got to remember, it's pretty much like you should think of it as saying it to your best mate or your your mum or your dad or whoever it might be. Like, you can't just say bad things about people and then expect them to turn up the next week and play, you know, good footy again because it's mm-hmm. it's tough. You got to mentally process that and if you have had a rough game like you you've got to process that as well so it's um it's hard to really put your finger on what it might be but i think if you think of it like that it might help
1: for sure uh let's move on we we sort of talked about it off the top and uh, we want to get a bit of an insight into what a game day is for 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 you and well for, for the modern afl player because we do see you know 2 or 3 hours of your weekend but it's all quite curated you know you might be walking off the bus into the change rooms we might see you running around in the in the rooms before you come out and then there's the 2 and 3 hours of play and then you know we might get an interview with a player after the game if you win for instance but obviously there's a lot more that goes into game day for you do you have a routine that you try and follow um week to week or or does it depend on you know whether you're playing an afternoon game or a night game like do you have a set routine
3: yeah for game day yeah game day yeah i like, every week it changes because of the time that you play, as you yeah. mentioned. But for me, I'm, I, I've changed it a lot over the years. Like as a younger player, you try and mirror what, you know, the, the best player on the team's doing. Or, you know, I remember I tried to, in Perth one year, we played a night game. I think it was eight ten in Perth. And because of the time difference, like, it worked out to be different. And I tried a nap pre-game. And I reckon it was the worst game I've ever played ever, so I never did that again. <laughs> <yet. laughs> so now I'm always outside and active and, yeah, it depends. Like I'll, every morning I'll have eggs and avo on toast for brekkie, um, take the dog for a walk to go get a coffee from the local cafe around the corner and, um, yeah, then come back. And I just like to do things. So, like, if there's if the house needs vacuuming or if the backyard needs cleaning, I'll do that and spend as much time as I can outside because I feel like, for me, I just feel like that, your eyes and everything, your, your mind and stuff is really when once you get to the ground, it's got to be on. So if you're snoozing before the game, it's probably not the best thing. Well, I don't feel it's the best thing for me. So that's do what
0: you I'm tired doing. though. If you if you get up and you go for a walk and you come back and you're vacuuming and you might mow the lawn or something like that, do you sit down at, at two o'clock and think, I gotta play play tonight and I'm knackered already? To be honest, no. Like I
3: actually feel like if I was to to sleep during the day, I'd just feel a lot more lethargic. Yeah. Um, I do, the one thing I do do is I sleep in, like I'll sleep in. So the night before a game, say we're playing a night game, I'll, um, I'll go to bed the night before the time that, that that game finishes or roughly around that time, do you know what I mean, the next day. Then mm. your body's acclimatized to whatever time it might be. So mm. I'll say go to bed at 11, wake up at nine o'clock, like I like to get a, a big sleep and then the rest of the day just happens from there. It is a bit of a waste of a morning and an afternoon, though, when you're playing a night game. She's literally doing not, not too much other than doing stuff around the house.
0: Do you prefer to play uh, at night or during the day? Uh, oh, it's a good question.
3: I probably the four thirty-five game is pretty good because you get to. I was is actually a dietitian um, this week, last week against Gold Coast before the game, and just saying how you can because you can have breakfast and then you can have a little snack before you play. And food-wise, it's really – it's it's handy to be able to do that. Whereas if you're playing a night game at 7.50, it's like you have brekkie, you have a little, like, lunch, but then you don't have dinner and then you miss that. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. energy levels and things like that vary. So it's different. I probably prefer to play somewhere in between that that morning or the early lunch to night time.
1: Speaking of the dietitians, like, do you have a strict game day diet uh, or you know are you sort of told to stay away from some foods either the night before or or the day of a game
3: um yeah you get educated a little bit early days but similar thing to what i mentioned before everyone's got their own roots yeah. and you got to find what's right for you like i'm i'm pretty stock standard like i don't have to carb up or i don't have to have a certain meal the night before a game because i learned you know when you go into state that you're you get you know you go to a hotel and there's a variety of different foods there so you can't always have the same meal every time um, so you're always changing and yeah I'm pretty relaxed in that area but the dietitian recommends that you just get a you know a balanced diet um, if you if you need more carbs then you have more carbs so everyone's different
1: yeah bow and eggs works well for you
3: <laughs> it works well for me mate yeah it does <laughs> uh,
1: what about getting to the ground I know that um, some players famously caught uh, public transport to the ground. Um, I think the Wakeland boys were, were, were kind of famous yeah. for doing that the the train to the to the G back in the day um I remember Collingwood's Oliver Henry earlier this year rode a scooter to the G I'm pretty sure someone saw him scooting in on a scooter like do you have Very a Lewis you, Hamilton area <laughs> yeah. do you are you happy just with the car or does it vary on whether you're playing at Marvel or the G or um you know do you just like to relax with some tunes in in, in the car as you ride in
3: yeah so oh, it's changed this year because now um myself and Adzi Trelaw we're going together so he he lives like 40, 40 minutes <laughs> out of, like, in Hyatt that, at that area. He drives to Q where I am and then we go in together. So it's a bit out of his way, but driving um, <laughs> like, the car, mate, straight to the, the ground and play some music. We've got our songs that we've, yeah, that we listen to every time. I was going to
1: ask about this because I noticed on your Instagram that uh, you've been doing posts for every win with just a little check, a little tick. And in every single photo that you've won, one of the photos has ads featuring in it. And there's a bit of a bromance going on here. Has this just happened since he got to the club or have you guys known each other beforehand or what's the deal there?
3: Uh, It's pretty crazy. Like we obviously knew of each other, but we didn't know each other until such time as the, um, until we met pretty much. I think when he first came to the club, he messaged me a couple of days before and we caught up and straight away, it was like, i saw myself in him sort of thing like yeah. he, we just relate in everything every area everything that we do off field like both of us are really big on recovery and got saunas and and hot and colds and things like that so we're, we're very similar and it's just great to um yeah he's one of my best mates now like it's incredible how quickly that's come around but just the way that we relate is, is quite incredible
1: did you have any uh, not clashes, but like when did you ever play each other and, and have an inkling that you, you'd get on well or if you, you've always been like sort of competitive at, at stoppages? Like was there something that sort of foreshadowed this or was it just a complete surprise?
3: It's a it's a good question because I've actually spoken to him about this. Like I, before a game, you build yourself up to when you go out and in, onto the field, you you know, it's us versus them. And I don't tend to like to shake hands with the opposition, like it's more just like, you know, let's yeah. just play um and we played collingwood it was in 2019 and i remember the center bounce we both lined up on each other and normally if someone like sort of went to shake my hand i'd probably you know call it Pushing off away. <laughs> yeah, maybe check him away in the chest or something but um adam came up to me and i randomly i just didn't know why but i shook his hand <laughs> and imagine
1: all, if you hadn't shaken his hand where would you be to that? you might have thought you were a uh, you're a knob or something?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no idea. Like, I mean, I went- <laughs> what did he say about that? He brought it up, did he? He brought it
3: up. Yeah, he said, "Oh, like, remember when we shook hands before a game?" And I said, "It's funny you say that because I don't normally do that." So it's a crazy one that you think about now. And it's like, I don't know, everything happens for a reason, and we're both together, and we're you know really good mates, and build a good relationship. Whether that was a sign, then I'm not too sure. Yeah.
1: yeah. There you go. See, I always thought you would have lived closer together for how much you guys seem to hang out, but. Given he has to come all, all the way across town, and then you go into games together, yeah, um, that's that's fascinating and, and a very funny, uh, funny little anecdote. You might
3: <laughs> have to buy it. Yeah,
1: that's it. Um, I guess when you get to the ground, then uh, you get changed from whatever you're wearing, and then it's you know pretty much into you know, I guess stretches, and you go out for a, for a jog. Does everyone have? Is it the same routine that everyone does, or do the physios, you know, for instance, or the high performance managers set out specific warm up routines for different players, uh, you know, key forwards as opposed to mids or anything like that? Like, how, how does that work?
3: Oh, in terms of warm up, it's all pretty similar. Um, everyone's got their own prep time, like for taping and strapping and massage. And um, yeah, you, you check in with a dietitian, yeah. you've got to weigh in and things like that. So it's all a little bit different for each individual. But then I think. Prior to the team meeting being about an hour before the game, uh, everything's really individually sort of focused. And then after that, it's more you go out, you have your run, your, your team warm up, and, and then you come back inside. We all warm up together and do tackling and things like that. So it's very individualized prior to an hour before the game. And then after that, it's, it's team-based, which
0: is good. Yeah, right. Do you arrive about two hours before a game?
3: Yeah, I always get there at least two hours before a game. Yeah, I've been probably getting there in around two hours fifteen. You okay. Go for a walk on the ground and then come back inside and get strapped and things like that. Is anyone late?
0: Have you ever have you ever been stuck in traffic
3: or something? Uh oh, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty like straight down the line with this kind of stuff. Like I always, I'll be googling how long it's going to take. Yeah, an hour before I have to leave. Like I, I never, well, I haven't been stuck in traffic, but.
0: Uh, Dob one of your teammates in who has
3: been. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say Timmy English in his first game. And oh, no, maybe I reckon yeah it was those two. They they were in the city and they were driving to the game and I got a flat tire or someone hit him or something happened. Oh. I had to get in an Uber to the ground. So <laughs> things like that happen all the time. It's crazy, you, you, yeah, when you think about it.
1: If if you guys are playing in Ballarat, do you catch the the bus up the team bus or is you, you're all driving up as well?
3: Yeah, no, we all drive up, so we go up the day before and stay at the yeah. Mercure in Ballarat, um, all right. yeah, and then very good Um the game. Um, we, we'll normally liked carpool though. So.
2: so I was gonna, I was gonna say, um, so you obviously play for Gippsland Powers as a junior, you would have travelled six, seven hours for games as a kid, so it's probably, um, probably a bit, a bit easier as an AFL <laughs> player for what it you've come now. up with.
3: Yeah, it is now for sure. <laughs> I don't know. Morewell was our home home ground, but even that was an hour from home for me. So it was like a home game was still an hour away. Um, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs>
1: a whole day affair.
3: Yeah. So when you're playing um, down in Williamstown, or you know, it takes three and a half hours to get there, it's a it's a seven hour day, as you mentioned. So just of travel, and then you got to play for three hours. So <laughs> it was tough, but I'm very grateful for everything that I did as a kid and my family, the sacrifices they made. So to get me to where I am today and yeah, forever in debt.
1: Christian, um, from a stats point of view, how heavily, I guess, on game day, how how much are clubs demanding of champion data on on a game day prior to a game? Um, You know, is there any sort of like last minute things they're trying to get in or is most of the prep work done earlier in the week?
2: Yeah, so no, a lot of the, again, I think I sort of touched on the pot, a lot of it is... um, pre-season. So a lot of it is the setup of the pre-season, making sure they get access to the data they need. And then they've got their um, owner analysts and things. So um, obviously a lot of the clubs like to keep things close to their chest and things like that. So there's not a lot of back and forth during the season, Um, but it's more during the off season. And that's why we, as you know, as a company and trying to have that client relationship with the clubs, we, we really know we've got to go hard in January, February, and we've got that sort of um, the mental space in the clubs, because once, March, it's they're just in the day-to-day grind and the analysts are trying to get things for the coaches and they're just in their day-to-day work there's not a lot of catch-ups and you know how are things going what do you think needs to be done better more blah blah, blah. so it's all done probably pre-season um and then the clubs are pretty self-sufficient once round one comes along mm. um you know be a few emails back and back and forth but nothing specifically they'll never they'll never come to us and say hey we're trying to rank yeah. these teams by this stat will we'll never really have much to do with any of that with Do you clubs. get
1: requests from clubs mid-year about new stats or stats you might not carry and saying are you planning to carry these or you know is there anything like that that sort of pops up throughout the year?
2: Yeah yeah sometimes so again that's one of our biggest things in the off season is we want we, again most of the things that we introduce we introduce for clubland um you know spoken on it before I know all of our stuff's used in fantasy footy and we're talking about betting and things like that but we won't create a new stat unless it has some sort of value to a club and to winning a game of football. Um, or else there's no point sort of introducing it and training for it. Um, so, again, a lot of that's in the off-season. There'll be times clubs will, um, you know, query a definition of, you know, a good one is long down the line. What do you call long down the line? We'll give them our definition. They say, well, we want to include these five types of kicks as well in our definition. So it might be a little bit of tinkering <laughs> with numbers um, and things like that just to make sure they can get the, the, the correct measurements that they want. Um, and you yeah, happily do that for them yeah yeah where, where we can I mean it's very we're not gonna you know to introduce a new stat it's probably an off-season thing it's a retraining it's you know to, to introduce your new stat you got to have about 20 30 vision examples of what it is and what it's not so we can train our staff to call it and call it consistently around the country so there's always that back and forth but again with the clubs it's a lot of it is it's got to be done in the off-season because the grind of the actual season I think it's just yeah it's too hard to sort of think about all that periphery stuff and the nice to haves. Um, mm. Yeah. We sort of get across that in yeah the off season.
1: Um, we spoke about this before, Josh, but the phone situation, um, when do you hand your phones in on game day and, and how strict are they with, with access in terms of a handing them in and then b taking them back at the end of, end of the game.
3: Yeah, they're very, they're actually very strict to be honest. We've got guys with there's integrity guys that walk around the rooms um, pre COVID they were in there all the time and they'd, be um, watching to see if anyone was on their phone but so we I'm not sure what other clubs do but our club you know, as soon as you walk into the the change rooms there's a big black case out the front that you put your phone in you turn it off put your phone in and then you don't see it until after the game so um, they're pretty strict with it and obviously what happened on the weekend was interesting I don't know i don't mind as a player but yeah things happen and obviously there's rules in place so whatever happens there happens there but I just think that it's um it's a little bit I don't know you don't like I don't if I was playing and I had my phone like in TOC Cup days like I would just turn my phone off anyway and put it up on the on the locker like I wouldn't even look at it anyway. So
0: you're injured or something like that, and you're you're sitting up in the stands. Is it the same deal? Do Do they do they have to drop your phone off somewhere?
3: No, nah, yeah. so if you're if you're in the stands, I, I don't think you have to hand your phone in.
2: I think you just. No, I made the I made the comment on uh, it was one of the games. Dangerfield didn't even seem like he was watching the footy. Every time they went to him, he was on his phone <laughs> it was at one of the friend. games a couple of weeks ago. So they definitely yeah. let out. So, yeah,
3: it is a bit of a it's a strange one. Like especially after like if you get injured and it's a serious injury and someone and you need to tell you know one of your loved ones that you need to be picked yeah. up or something needs to happen. Where I think like Howie, for example, was talking to one of his. You know, family members like that's that's pretty stiff. Like you gotta, I feel like you've got to give a bit of lenience there.
1: Yeah, uh, I think he's, it was his wife that was worried he'd done his knee or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah and really but, but then yeah, that. the discussion is that there's, surely there's someone there that can access the phone for the player and you know text a loved one. Like, is there processes in place at the dogs where if you do get injured, there's someone who can go and pick up a phone, turn it on, if they've got a passcode and they've got you know. The, the message that's a lot a of pastos player. to remember uh, no no surely there's like a document but like does that happen or, or is the phone off until like if you've got a if you're playing interstate and you you know uh, you know go have to go to for a scan at a hospital yeah. when would your family and friends find out about this
3: oh I couldn't really tell you I, I think that all well, for us for example like our player welfare manager sits on the bench so he's actually involved in game day on the field so if you get injured. Like the doctors and that they'll they'll ask you down to the rooms and you'll go in the rooms and if you if you're injured and you're out for the game like that's that's pretty much it Or like you can't there's nothing else they've got to, the docs have got to go back out on field and yeah. everyone else has got to continue their their game day um, routine and I suppose it, it, the, the the team on the field is probably priority over you yep. being injured so I don't know if there'd be any point of contact from a club point of view. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's what I mean. Like it, for Howie, it was it must be tough because he was, you know, reaching out to his wife and mm. to let her know that he was okay. Um, yeah, it's a tough one.
1: Yeah, it is. Um, speaking of stats as well, we, we talk, talked about these earlier, but how much of a role does this play like during a quarter time and a half time break or, or when you come to the bench, for instance, like when you're talking to your line coach or or, or Bevo, like is there any discussion about, you know, oh, you know, Geez, you've only had one tackle, and it's the third quarter. Or, you know, we're we're well down in clearances. Like, what are the discussions about stats that go on uh, during a game, and and how much of that actually influences how things are changed? Like, any like you know, knobs are sort of you know, twisted and turned to sort of get the outcome that you need.
3: Yeah. So, while normally going into games, we focus. We have focus areas where we want to keep. West Coast, for example, really like to kick the ball around and we want to keep their uncontested mark numbers down. So we'll address that at the, at the breaks and see where we're at. Um, if it's a game where you really want a lot of forward pressure, you might talk about tackles inside 50. Uh, we never talk about individual stats, like at quarter time, half time, three-quarter time. Um, oh, it's more just the team-based ones where...
1: No, you can't you can't say that because Josh Bruce, the forward line was cleared out. Oh,
3: yeah, sorry. That's, that's what <laughs> when he got close... Yeah, I'll put my hand up. That's, um, yeah, we did talk about that right at the end. I think one of this, one of us was like, he's got nine, he's got nine. He's got one more. So, um, yeah, that was – and I think Bevo actually mentioned that um, he cleared the forward line out, didn't he? In the I meeting. think he did, yeah. yeah. I think
1: he, he actually admitted that. So, there you go.
3: Um, my bad.
0: Yeah. What about <laughs> from, from an individual perspective, though, and not necessarily about – um, you running around telling your numbers up but it's more about do you know early on in a game if you and it even goes back to the warm-up can you tell when, even in the warm-up that you, you're on for a day like do you feel better some days in the warm-up like knowing you're gonna play well
3: uh, it's, it's a hard one to think about like you always you try and keep your mindset very simple or I do even um, you know for whatever game it might be so I don't know the weekend, for example, I felt pretty normal. I did everything that I would normally do. Um, didn't do anything out of the ordinary, uh, but it's hard to think about, you know, little things that you might've done mm-hmm. differently. Cause as soon as you start thinking about that, then it just piles up and then you start wanting to do too many things. So for me, I didn't feel any different um, in the game. I just like to be involved. So whether that's through just putting pressure on or tackling and, you might not be getting the footy, but you're doing something for the team, and that's that's the way that I base my game off. And mm. um, if I'm involved
2: in the game by doing that stuff, then the, the everything else will flow from there. It's a it's a big um, coaching point, and with analytics, is what, like what you mentioned there, Jake. The, the mentioning something like you've only had one tackle up until the third quarter, we need you tackling more. That that can you know, as a coach, delivering that to a player, that player is now just focusing on tackling. So the ball's in his area, and he's not going to go get pick up the ball and kick it. you know, it's not going to get to that extreme, but it's like, well, he's not going to focus on winning the ball now. So he might miss out on actually, you know, running forward of the play and being an uncontested link 60 meters in the play, because he's just worried about getting tackled. So it's about, um, again, you don't want the, the, the numbers are way too noisy. Even as a statistician, I'd say you wouldn't want to feed the players too many numbers during the game because it's just going to cause too much noise going to have them, their heads going the wrong way. So it's, as uh, Josh said, and we've spoke spoken to a lot of that about clubs, you um, the, the, the delivery during the week of, yeah, nutting it down to one or two simple numbers and monitoring that game day, even though the club and the Bulldogs and the analysts would have sat there with a spreadsheet, probably with 90 columns and sorted them all and have 80 different stats that, you know, that we know the Giants are ranked, you know, in the top 10% for these 20 stats and bought But it's only the two stats that we need to deliver to the players and tell the players these are the two numbers to focus on. Uh, because it is, it's that balance of, yeah, the, the noise versus the focus of, of yeah, delivering well- that message.
0: Well, while we've got you here, uh, Christian and Josh, um surely you've got some some uh, some good Josh Dunkley stats. Surely you've been racking your brains all week trying to come up with some good stuff for him.
2: Oh, well I wouldn't even say racking the brains. As I said, <laughs> oh, he's a bit of a a I don't know, I don't think he's a champion data love child. You, you play with a champion data love child in Caleb Daniel. Um, oh. he's, he's just, you know, one of those ones whenever we look at when, whenever we look at his numbers as a junior or what he's done down back, we just drool. But um, at the moment, <laughs> as I said, uh, pre-pod, we've got... So, <laughs> so using the player rating stuff, um, we sort of have an AFL standing, which is based on your last 40 weeks of form, um, with a little bit of um, adjustment being your, your most recent form has a little bit more weighting than your game 40 games ago. Um, but across that timeline, so you're 15th in the competition for overall AFL player rating standings. Uh, across the forty last forty weeks, um, but which is third at the Bulldogs. So we've got Marcus bonson pelly who's fifth in player ratings across the last forty weeks, and Jackson McRae, who's twelfth. Um, You're above Adzi, Josh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let you him are. know. <laughs> so where's <Treloar>? um, <laughs> oh, in the, Yeah, in the last month, we've actually got you number tenth in the AFL, um, and again, that's with the Bulldogs. So you have got McRae at number one player in the competition over the last um, over the last four weeks. Um, Bontepelli's fifth, Libertore ninth, yourself tenth, Bailey Dale, who's just having a career best season down back, who's moved behind the ball, is twelfth. And then you've got Adam Trallor at 15th. So again, this is in the competition for the last four, four weeks. So yeah, the Bulldogs. Oh, no wonder I the, the team. <laughs> six, six names in the top fifteen. So you can sort of see that. And again, every stat's got, you know, a won't say a problem with it, but there's a, there's a reason for the stat. And again, Bulldogs are very high. You've got a lot of the ball, flipping the ball around. So you're going to have a lot of these guys getting high rating points. Um, but again, it goes back to what I sort of said as a team at the moment. Everything's just working for you. Your number one disposals, you know, you kick it forward. You, you score, which is, again, big for rating points, is to get ball into, um, get the ball into a valuable spot and to score from that spot. So, again, you can see with all these players like McRae, Dunkley, Bons and Pally, Uh, I know Dale's moved behind the ball, very attacking sort of midfielders. The ones that can either, whether they're directly hitting the scoreboard or very high score assist players, which again, always sort of marries up well with player ratings. Um, But yeah, still with Josh and again, talking about his game this week coming up against GWS. So uh, since 2018, you've actually been the number one rated Bulldogs player against GWS and it's been your best team um, in that time. So yeah, sorry, second best team. You actually, since 2018 averaged 18 points per game against Richmond so Richmond have been a bit of your bunnies in the last three or four years. Which not um, many players not can many, say that. exactly. Not many players <laughs> will have that um, next to their name. But um, yeah, you you mentioned your sort of two thousand and nineteen game against the Giants, thirty one ranking points. That was your career best game. Um, and your game on the weekend, just gone against Gold Coast, was actually your fifth highest rated game. So. Um, I know the stats don't don't mean <laughs> too
1: much individually Josh but like do you feel these or do you can you remember back to that Giants game in 2019 and think yeah that was probably my best game
3: yeah I can yeah I can think of the game that um, we're talking about I I personally wouldn't say that was my best game though I'd, okay I you know there's little things that go on within the game that you might you know fumble a couple or there's areas of your game that you're you wanting to improve I think the game that I played, I feel like the game, my best game personally would have been against Melbourne in two weeks
2: earlier. Yeah, against uh, my brother playing. Oh, was it? Yeah. So that's, again, so we've got two measurements. Um, That was ranking points, and that was a 200 point ranking game. So again, we've only seen 17 players, or sorry, 17 games where um, a player's reached 200 ranking points in the last decade. Um, And that was one of them. So again, that's the super coach points. So anyone that had you uh, captaining their (laughs) super coach team, I'm sure would have. Hit you up with a bit of love on twitter that week but um yeah so that was a 200 point game and you're right you and tim english are currently the only two bulldogs players with a 200 point ranking game so not even the bonds uh reached that mark yet in his career uh so you're right yeah rankings your best game was um i think that was round 19 or 20 against melbourne and then two weeks later i think it was round 22 or 23 against gws was your best best um ratings game but as i said you one of those players that comes up in both of our measurements, whether we use rankings or ratings, um, mm. they both seem to like Josh Dunkley. So, and if you um,
1: if you need to go back to one of the earlier pods, I think in, in season one we talked about ratings points and rankings points and the differences between them. So, uh, make sure you go back and listen to that as well. Um, Josh, after the game, you, you sort of come back into the rooms, and we on TV or you know if we're down in the rooms as part of the media, we see you sing the song. But then there's the team meeting. I mean, how deep do you get? Directly after the game, because there's only I guess so much you can kind of dwell on, uh, you know, after a loss as well. But but after a win, you know, surely a lot of the analysis actually comes later in the week. Like what is actually said in that post game meeting that you might have.
3: Yeah, so the post game meeting is it's very interesting at times. Like depending on whether you win or lose, um, it's more talking about the focus points that you yeah. go into the game with. Um, so we always, you know, Bevo will have on the board what we want to right. do and. How, what we want to achieve uh, throughout that night or day, whatever it might be. So we always come in and we talk about that kind of stuff. Um, on the weekend, for example, like we weren't really happy with our third quarter. So we talked about that after the game. Uh, you brainstorm a few things, but yeah, as you mentioned, a lot of the stuff is, is talked about uh, during the week and upon review, then you move past that because these days, you know, you've got seven, six, five-day breaks that you've got to really review things pretty quickly and then move on to the opposition coming ahead.
1: Uh, how long does it take you to get home after a game finishes? Because, you know, if you play a Friday night game, for instance, it's, you know, the game might finish about 10 30. You might get out of the meeting at 11. You got to do media. Does anyone actually like doing media at the dogs? Just by the way, you do like it. Yeah.
3: I'm not sure. Do, do you not think anyone likes it?
1: Oh, no, no. It's just players, uh, you know, when you
0: have, after a game, especially. Oh, it must be like a tell- chore after a game when you want to go home. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean,
3: after a game, you know, you- everyone wants to just get home and, and relax and do we do recovery after a game like friday night so wow. yeah so straight after the game we'll be doing recoveries then we tend to get the weekend off wow. uh, on what, what day we play the next week but if it's a seven-day break say friday night the next week then we get the weekend off so we do recovery so we're not getting home until midnight twelve thirty.
1: Do you, do you can you get to sleep straight away? Because I know that if I'm working, you know, at a footy game or whatever, I'm still buzzed afterwards. You know, you're getting home and you're trying to go to sleep, and you just probably stare at the ceiling for an hour. Like, do you feel that the adrenaline's still sort of pumping at that point?
3: Hundred percent, hundred percent. Probably more with when you've got crowds. Um, yeah. <laughs> after, you, after games, when it was you know dead silent, um, you weren't as aroused as probably what you normally would be. So the crowds definitely help a lot. It's funny, like when you think about it. Um, yeah, yeah. After like after every night game, it's hard to fall asleep. Uh, guys have different ways of coping with it. Some guys will just stay up until they can't, like they just possibly can't um, yeah. awake any longer. I just try and stay relaxed. I'll get home and just relax. I've got a sauna uh, that I put on, or get in the pool or the spa, uh, whatever it might be, just to try and wind myself down a little bit and then go to sleep.
2: Very just, good. Uh, Going back to um, the no crowds. It- playing out there last year with no crowd, did, did it feel any different? I know there's been a little bit of study with the NBA um, and efficiency's actually gone up without crowd scores are higher and they're actually making more buckets. Um, That's pressure. Exactly. But yeah. Did, as, as a player, do you notice that or is it just, you know, the opposition's the one putting pressure on so you don't notice whether there's a crowd or not. I don't know. Oh,
3: uh, I think, yeah, more in the moments where like a set shot, for example, like I think you, you would definitely notice the pressure more with crowds. Mm. Um but the game itself, yeah, I don't think you. When you're playing, it's just more like in the big moments you don't hear the crowd, so you're not, you know, you, the hair's not standing up on the back of your neck um, when something good happens. So, yeah, I don't think the the crowds play a, a huge part in it. But I think with set shots and the, those parts of the game where it's just that individual player that's got the ball for that moment that everyone's focused on, uh, they the, they're the moments that, yeah.
2: Yeah, I was gonna. I was also gonna say at the start of the pod as well that final you played against the Giants um, in 2016. It would have been probably 16,000 people, but I'm assuming it's probably one of the loudest fourth quarters you've been involved in. So it doesn't matter how many's there; it's just how passionate they are. Yeah, hundred percent.
3: The um, even the or this year, like round one, we didn't have many supporters at the game. But the I think it was round two against West Coast. Like a lot of the supporters rocked up, and there was still probably only twenty thousand there, and the, the, that was probably one of the loudest crowds i reckon i've ever heard too when um,
0: that west coast game was yeah. intense i still think that's one of the best games of the year f- so far for any mm. f- for a neutral to watch it was just end to end and a lot of lead changes oh, it was high scoring as as we seem to want um yeah that was another another good one
1: Yeah. I think I've noticed that throughout the year as well. Going to a few games is especially crowds in Melbourne, uh, you know, at the MCG or, you know, under the roof at marble, like they're just happy to be back at the footy and a bit extra loud. So um, yeah, good to have fans back uh, with the AFL back in Melbourne and, and, and fans back. So um, anything we've missed jake for what game day what, anything uh anything you think we can oh there's just so much i'm sure we, i'm
0: sure we have missed we might have to do a follow-up and and, and dive into a few more different areas but no it, it is fascinating to um to sort of get an insight into what what you actually do what about the next day so so you, you say you wake you, you play assume you play a night game you, you go to bed sort of um you know after midnight late what up so if you play a friday night what do you do saturday wake up saturday what do you do more, more yeah. eggs and avocado? <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, well, yeah, it's funny because I was actually going to mention it. Like, after a game, you, well, you can't – I don't sleep well after a game anytime. So, if it's a night game, I'll be up at 7 o'clock the next morning. Like, it's probably a 6 hour sleep max uh, after a game. So – I'll be up straight away. I'll probably take the dog for a walk, and then I'm straight into recovery because I feel like that's a it's a big element of you know getting up for the next week and being able to get up for training and train as well as you possibly can. And so what do you
0: mean by that when you say recovery? What what exactly do you, do you do?
3: Yeah, so first thing for me is like I'll wear I'll wear skins like straight after the game. I'll wear them for 24 hours. The two XU they've got good compression skins that um yeah that we we have. At the footy club and um so i straight away i'll put them on i've got recovery boots i've got sauna as i mentioned before do
0: you uh, sleep in those in the skins
3: yeah sleep in the skins <laughs> yep literally <Comfy>?
0: sleep.
3: <laughs> well in the summertime it's a bit warm but
0: yeah
3: <laughs> when it's freezing cold here in zero degrees it's pretty nice to be honest i, would, I
0: imagine they'd be pretty decent <laughs> up in up in ballarat after the other week <laughs> oh
3: yeah yeah straight away after the game straight on it was, that was cold up there, I can tell you that.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. There've uh, some, yeah, there have been recovery, some cold ones there.
3: Yeah, the recovery side of it's really important. And, you know, hot and colds. I don't tend to do hot baths or hot spas after a game for probably 48 hours just because the, the contrast therapy and the way that we get told, um, we're educated is that the cold's better for you straight after a game. Um, mm. But, yeah, just to get the body moving again and get active and sort of take your mind off footy too and relax. Uh, if we play a Friday night game, as I mentioned, we normally get Saturday, Sunday off. So to really just park it and hopefully we win and then you've got to enjoy the weekend and with your family and friends or
0: whatever it might be. If Excellent. you're going down to the local cafe to grab a coffee or something like that, do you get, do you get the, the barista or someone else in the cafe saying, 38 touches, two goals, bloody good game? Uh, every now and then, I wouldn't say all the
3: time. <laughs> Um, depends what cafe you go to. <laughs> <That's>
1: <laughs> some what... you avoid after a loss, and some you go to after a win, yeah, looking yeah. for a bit of praise. Yeah,
3: exactly. exactly.
1: <laughs> oh, very good. Oh, that's awesome. Um, we're going to throw some quick fire questions at you just uh, before we wrap up for the day. Um, firstly, that goal on the weekend is that the weirdest goal you've kicked? That that one that sort of dribbled through and did the off break? <laughs>
3: yeah, the um, the wronging. Uh, yeah. actually... the, Angu- the Angus. The Angus <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> We watched it yesterday in um, spirit. In some of the spirit tapes, that we watched, and uh, yeah, <laughs> some of the boys are calling it a wronging. But I, I think I kicked one against Collingwood. In might have been my first year. I tried to snap it, like just snap it, like a normal left foot snap on my opposite. Ended up coming like a becoming a banana. So it went I like know. one way, but then came back the other way and went through. That was my first year. It's probably one of the weirdest ones I've kicked
0: directly. Yeah, right. Have to look that up. <laughs> um. Obvious, uh, big question. Who's the best player in the competition
3: right now? Oh, it's a good question. I, right now, geez, I think it's hard to go past Dusty just because of the way that he can impact games. But consistently, like Lockie Neal, played against him last week. Like, he's he's a freak. And, I, you know, obviously, I think he's going through a bit of, um, you know, soreness and stuff with his body. But for him to back up, week to week and play the role that he does. I just think that he's one of the the gun players in the comp and defends, you will be on the last line of defense and then kicking goals at the other end, like he does it all. And he's one that um, I rate very highly.
1: Who's the strangest teammate and why?
3: Strangest teammates? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I reckon a few blokes would probably answer the same bloke. Tom Lipitori.
1: <laughs> yep, fair enough. <laughs> a unique the tattoos, yep. Yeah. I feel like I've heard this before. <laughs> yeah.
2: there's, there's also, there's also. I think there might a couple of moved on. A little click there. Bailey Dale. Um, I think sorry, no. Bailey Williams. Um, Colin was it? You had a um, one of the Collins, someone of Collins from um, Dandy Stingrays and Caleb Daniel. Seen a few of their photo shoots that they've put on Instagram and Twitter previous years. <laughs> they're they're quite out there, aren't they? Very
3: interesting. Yeah, they are very interesting. They um, they used to live together, those boys. So they used to. Yeah. Have collaborate. you a <laughs> photo, photo shoots? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Livers, liver's unique. He's a great... Like, I love him. He's a, he's a great bloke, and uh, he just brings his unique qualities to the footy club, and it makes the club what it is, which is great.
0: Um, who's your favourite umpire?
3: Oh, favourite umpire.
0: Anyone give you some cheapies?
3: Has everyone? Has anyone what? Sorry?
1: Do any of the umpires give you some cheapies that you might not get from other umpires?
3: Uh... No, Razor Ray always, he's always talking to you or <laughs> something that's out of the ordinary.
0: <laughs> when you know you're having a good game, do you, just, do you just pick the ball up for the umpire and say, you know, three votes, uh, I'll take him.
3: Oh... <laughs> uh, some people say that they reckon that they can see that kind of stuff happening on the field. Matt
0: beach. Fife does it all the time. I don't know if he's just a nice guy or he's wanting the three, but he's always picking the – save your energy. He leans bends down 20 times to pick the ball up.
1: <laughs> That's good. Um, speaking of umpires, should the AFL get rid of the centre bounce?
3: I don't think so. I think it's unique. Yeah. I, I'd, I'm a very – I'm a traditionalist. Like, I'd like to see the game just stay the way that it that it is. Obviously, there's new rule changes every year, but I just love, you know, the daytime grand final, um, the bounce, like everything like that. Is when I was a kid, I just yeah. love. I love watching it. I love, you know, those moments in games, and I'd, uh, yeah, I, as I mentioned, I, I wouldn't like to change it too much of it. Um, least favorite ground to play at. Oh, least great, the least favorite ground. I'm gonna say. I'm going to say Geelong.
2: Ooh, cold, small. Have you, how many
0: times you played down there?
3: Played probably four times down there, I reckon. Yeah, we used to play a lot of big country and and those yeah. games down there as well. But just yeah, very narrow. Like the deep, there's deep pockets, but
0: it's very long and narrow. How notice we? Everyone always talks about it, but from a player's perspective, how how much different is it to play there compared to the MCG or Marvel Stadium, for example?
3: Yeah, it's, it's very different. Like people, it's hard to explain because you, you talk about the width and being able to um, use the ball in the way you've got to play. Like if you're in the pocket at Geelong, you can, it's hard to have a shot from the boundary line because it's so deep. Like you're actually, you're nearly behind the goals. So it's really important to get centering kicks in and, and stuff like that. Like you actually got to change the way that you're you play a lot because if you're leading as a forward, you're leading out wide, it's generally going to be a very tough shot than what it would be if you're leading up the middle or out wide at the MCG, for example. There you go. So it's Yeah, it's a hard one.
1: Uh, Last one before we move on. How do you define a successful career as an AFL player? This comes from Joel Sweet on Twitter.
3: Oh, a successful career. I think, you know, I'm big on, you know, playing a role, playing your role for the team. Like a lot of role players will play... 150, 200 games. I think that's a really successful career. Um, you know, the average career these days is probably, I'm not sure of the numbers, but it'd be around probably three to four or five years, I, I would have thought. So to play 150, 200 would be a, a big tick and feather in the cap, I would have thought.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Uh, and one with uh, off the cuff, I know that you've got the flag, but flag or brown, though? Flag for sure. For sure. <laughs> Jake always seems to think it's uh, the brown load that he'd prefer.
0: Oh, really? Is you're that, not, is that is right, now. Jake? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we won't do that. you come across as a selfish person. Oh No, just talking about the discussions we have hey, in the office. 22, 22 people get a, a premiership medallion every year. Just the one gets the, the brown load.
3: Yeah, I mean... the, the, all the saying. It's all about you, Jake. <laughs> Very significant, but winning a premiership, you've got those memories forever and yeah. those teammates
1: that you're bonded with. Lifelong bond. 100%. Absolutely. Um, all right, before we wrap up, uh, and, and Josh, thanks, thanks for very much for doing this. And we'll get you on a couple more times uh, throughout the year and throw some more questions at you. But justified hype or hyperbole, we'll do a quick little round of this. Basically, I'll say a statement and I'll ask you guys whether the hype is justified or I'm speaking in hyperbole. Josh, I might actually throw this one to you. Players should be allowed to access their phones if they're injured or out of the game. Oh,
3: I think that they should be allowed to.
1: So long as it's uh, under, I guess, um, someone's watching them or, or, or someone's keeping an eye on what they're doing, like, or just in general, like, just cab at it.
3: Yeah, I like. I know it's probably for the, what if it's what what's what's it actually for the gambling side of things, and they yeah, yeah. do say it's integrity. So I would...
0: integrity, yeah. So I think it's like if if you know that um, that someone's going like, to line yeah. up at full four to start the game, you're telling people about that or something. It's like, I, but. I guess
3: as and when you, the game's actually when the game's actually on, mm. like what's going to change? Like, there's, that's what
0: I, that's exactly what I think. Yeah. So
3: I, I feel like players, if you get injured and you you know you're down in the dumps, you're feeling pretty pretty sad and sorry for yourself. I feel like it's yeah, it'd be fine.
1: Absolutely, uh, Jake. The Melbourne Richmond game is the better spectacle than the Anzac Day game the next
0: day. Well, it will be this year because Melbourne and Richmond's going to be a fascinating game. But I still think Anzac Day is the, the game. It's just a shame this year we've got 16th playing 14th on Anzac Day. Um, well, Collingwood-Essendon, we've got three games on Anzac Day this year. Um, but, you know, had Collingwood and Essendon been top six sides this year, I still think people would be saying there'd be 90,000 at the G for Anzac Day. Assuming we were able to get 90,000 at the G, but it's, Anzac Day is still the day. Yeah, fair enough. I
1: think they've they've built a really wonderful game. The the days have, and the Tigers, and the, the spectacle is, yeah, is going to be a big.
0: Yeah, and this was going to be a huge game, Melbourne and Richmond. But no, I still think Anzac Day is the one that has a bit more significance.
1: Uh, and Christian, the Giants and Dogs is the best rivalry in footy right now.
2: Ah. Uh, hmm to say yes. Yeah, I know. I feel like I'm supposed to say yes, but I still go hyperbole. I think oh. it was it was very interesting to hear from um yeah Josh how you know the, it's definitely within the four walls of the club um you know and there'd probably be a lot of a lot of clubs that all sort of have not internal rivalries but rivalries that they probably value a little bit more than you know the general public or the mass. I don't I don't think it's the number one rivalry. It's a very enjoyable rivalry. Um, What's number one? See, I I don't know. I, Swans I s- and the
1: Bombers have had some good ones recently.
2: Yeah, they've had some good ones. I, I still like the showdown. And I don't know we're very Victoria-centric, but we don't get it. The showdown, <laughs> um, and it, it, it was a lot like this with Carlton Collingwood when I was growing up. Whoever's the better team is always shitting themselves in. Sorry <laughs> for my language, but it's, it's always seems like they're the type of games that the showdown you can't pick who's, yeah. who's higher on the ladder. they got more to um, lose. And Carlton Collingwood always seemed like that growing up, was always like, well, we're below them on the ladder, so we should beat them this time because nothing ever goes to plan. But um, yeah, again, just touching on those games, there's been 13 matches, um, Giants, Bulldogs, four of those with uh, being decided by a goal or less. So a qu- almost a quarter of the games being um, between a goal, you'd definitely say there is a rivalry there. I just, I wouldn't have it as number one in, in my one.
1: There we go. Uh, fellas, fellas. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> fellas <laughs> thanks for joining us. Uh, Josh, all the best this week against the Giants.
1: Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. We'll, uh, we'll get you on another time. Uh, and uh, guys, thanks as always. And we will speak to you guys all in the next one.
0: Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod, wherever you get your podcasts.